Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to The Friday Show, a bumper double header, looking back at a pretty uneventful midweek Champions League game against Atalanta. <laughs> and forward, well, what have I said? And forward to the biggest game of the Premier League season at Anfield on Sunday. Uh, delighted to be joined, you may have heard him in the background, by the main man himself, Asan. Good morning, you're gonna have Asan. To keep, morning, you're going to have to keep me on a leash today, Howard. Are you angry? I've just got a lot. I I feel as though I've got a lot of things to say and a lot of them are just like wildly offensive things. So Mm. you'll have to definitely keep me on a leash. No. (laughs) I'm uh, absolving myself of all responsibility there. But anyway, it's the point of a podcast really, so. Yeah. Hey, we should, I'm going to say off the top, there should probably be a swearing uh, warning at the top of this podcast because it's on SoundCloud. I might be a little bit sweary today. I apologise in advance. Well, I assume the opening question that you've written is where the swearing <laughs> uh, begins. So I'll start with that. And you've put, what is any Aluko smoking? So uh, <laughs> the f- footballer Eni Aluko has written an article this week, I believe, on uh, Pep Guardiola saying that only Champions League success with Manchester City can mark him out as a great have I got the gist of the article there? No, it's not even close. Whilst, I mean, she, yeah, whilst she, alluding it's... to uh, yeah the the paupers over at Liverpool. Would you like to give your thoughts then, Asa, on what she said and your thoughts on that article? Well, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about a wider issue that I've talked about before, and that is the um, the lack of city writers within the mainstream media. And what I mean by that. Is so look, uh, any Luco's Guardian editorial is dog shit. It's awful. It's something that, you know, a football person, anybody who understands football and has an objective view of it will put in the bin and, and will assume that the person who wrote it is a fucking moron who doesn't know anything about football. Cause that's the only way that you can espouse the views that she's espoused. Now, my opinion, she's probably been told by an editor above her, go and write a piece on why Klopp is better than Guardiola. And that's what she's that's what she's uh, done. But it's not just that. Um, Sam Lee's done a piece this morning in The Athletic, uh, which is like a quote-unquote comparison of how Liverpool and City are run and, and how they compete for different things. And the thing that really struck me as I was reading Sam's piece was the tone of it. The tone was objective. The tone was critical of City, where City should be critical, uh, where, where City should be criticised, um, or negative about City, where it's fair to be negative about City. Maybe not quite so much on the Liverpool side, but I understand that. Sam doesn't really cover Liverpool, but he's at the same time, complimentary of the things that they've done well. Um, I defy anybody to go right ahead and find me somebody who covers Liverpool Football Club who's written an article like that with that tone about City and about Liverpool in the last two years. You're not going to find it. So basically, we find ourselves in a situation where... The, our biggest rivals, rivals have got fanzine writers in the mainstream media who write, you know, puff pieces 
fanzine articles every three days about how everything is amazing. Everything they do is amazing. Nothing they ever do is wrong. And on the flip, our reporters, guys like Sam, who cover City, write about City the way that they should as quote-unquote objective journalists. Now, where this rubs me up the wrong way is I end, I end up feeling like, wow, so basically, like, there is nowhere to go and read anything about City, which will give us a positive City point of view. The best we're going to get is the kind of objective City reporters telling us very factually what City do well and very factually what City don't do well, and then making the comparison to Liverpool and telling us very factually what Liverpool do really well. I don't think I, I mean, you see the point that I'm making, Howard, like I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss. Like this is the, so far the biggest game of the season. I would have expected somewhere to open a newspaper this morning and find something that gives me a Manchester City point of view on this game. But hey, it's just not, it's just not there. The entire narrative, just like all the games last season is about what will happen if City lose is about why Liverpool are a better place to win this game, is about why City can't win the game, is about why Klopp is in Guardiola's head. It's, it's the, 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 the disparity between our success and their failure in the last two years and the way that the clubs are written about and the way that the managers are written about is, uh, is pretty staggering, if you ask me. It really is. Um, and you know, as I say, I think the I think the acid test is go and find a foreign football fan who maybe isn't hasn't got a, a, a bias for City or for Liverpool, and ask them to read that Aluko article, and they'll they'll ask you whether it's parody, they'll ask you whether it's fiction, they'll ask you whether it was written as a joke in a comic book. But no, it's written in the Guardian as a serious piece. So yeah, I mean, there you go, mate. That's. That's how my Friday morning started. Well, I don't think you swore that much, so we'll take the positives from that. Well, I think I counted about seven, so that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, to play devil's advocate, because I'm not, you know, not going to disagree with uh, much of what you said, play devil's advocate here, and we're not just going around in circles that this is clicks, it's everything. It's the evening news, in a way, is set up the same way to write articles that, you know, Pander to certain fan bases. The United articles are for their fan base. We're not talking about the news. No, but that's the media as a whole. Can we not just explain this media coverage quite simply by the number of fans that each club has and that it's just the same old routine that we've had for years and years now? Kind of irrelevant of how well they do, Liverpool, that is. Fine. I, I accept that for, you know, probably 360 days of a year, but there are moments where I expect <laughs> naively football journalists, and I'll use the word journalists in the loosest possible way, yeah, to do their jobs. It's all I ask. Yeah. Occasionally, once in a while, yeah, stagger me, surprise us as a supporter base, take the lemons out of your mouths, yeah. Remove the blindfolds from your eyes and write about the truth. Write what you see. Write the facts. I mean, you know, and try and write them without spinning Guardiola 
into the Emperor's new clothes after he's done 198 points in two seasons. I mean, you know, it just, it's, I, I completely get what you're saying. Yes, of course, to a greater or a lesser extent, it always comes down to the fact that it's about clicks. But I'm not talking about that, mate. I'm talking about this, shit, man, I've got a responsibility. I do a job, right? And at some point, people around me draw lines and they go, you can't step over that line because you've got a job to do. So you might have your biases. You might have the things that you want to express, but ultimately you still have a job to do and you have to operate within the lines. I don't think there's any lines for journalists when they write about City. I don't think there's an editor in the country who gives a shit about fact-checking an article that a quote-unquote journalist has written about Manchester City because so much mud has been flung at us, so much stuff has been said that the truth from the truth and fiction are basically interchangeable now. You know, we're at a point yeah. where it doesn't really matter whether it's true or it's not true. You can just say it and nobody's gonna, you know, whether it's whether it's Tony Evo going on going on talk shite and saying like, oh well, you know, City are gonna get a three year Champions League ban in December. You know, and then coming on Twitter and going, well, I didn't say they're getting a ban. I'm saying it's up to a three-year ban. It's like, this is what I mean. Just keep just keep throwing the mud out there. Eventually, it all sticks. Eventually, the perception, yeah, targeted, orchestrated campaign to effectively do negative PR to Man City to paint the club in the worst possible light. We need a siege mentality, man. I mean, whenever moments like this happen... I just feel like we should all just raise two middle fingers to the entire footballing establishment, really, because, yeah, I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah, I think we got that, the gist of that. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the the Luco article itself, is that not just one of a thousand that, you know, any footballer, current footballer, ex-footballer, I mean, they're generally drivel, aren't they? So, but it's, I guess it's the... The topic that's more relevant on on this occasion. What, what, what? Apart from the fact that City have lots of good players and a very good manager, what would you have liked to have seen this week as an article, as a, a general? I'm not giving you time to think about this one, but uh, that's okay. I don't. I don't think that. Um, I don't think that I demand much more or want much more than to read something that tells me why City could win the game and why Liverpool could win the game. Yeah, because I think that the sides are that evenly matched, that effectively, yeah, success yeah. or failure will be defined in moments on Sunday evening. There isn't really a... I mean, if you put aside the home away favourite bias, yeah, there isn't really a favourite. That If you look at the the games and the results over the last two years and the, the, the two teams and everything that they've both achieved. It just, you're, you're basically talking about the two best teams in the country. But yeah. that's kind of my issue, that it's not spoken about like that. It's spoken about like one incredible team and one team with a manager who's a bit of a fraud who have had billions spent on them and whatever it is that they've done, well, I mean, what else do you expect from that team? And, oh, look, 
Poor old Kloppo, he's only had 10p to put that side together. And look, they won the European Cup last year. And I mean, that's got to be the biggest achievement since, I don't know, since our last favourite won the European Cup. And that'll be Alex Ferguson. So, do you know what I mean? We're kind of, we're honestly, like the way they write about Kloppo, it really is giving me Fergie vibes. Do you know what I mean? That sort of, there were moments where you'd read things about Ferguson and you just, it would go beyond somebody writing a football manager and it becomes a kind of eulogy. It becomes a kind of cloying, sycophantic, arse-kissing, deluded fanzine piece. And that's what we're getting with Kloppo now. So yeah, I mean, of course I'm going to be bothered by it because I'm not trying to say that Guardiola's better or Klopp's better. I'm, again, I don't want to make the distinction, my team's better, my manager's better. I'm just saying, you're going to write about them, write about them in a fairly even-handed way because they're fairly even sides and fairly even coaches. Do you, final devil advocate, uh, devil's advocate question, do we only focus in as a fan base on articles like this when there must be articles out there that have eulogised over Pep over the last couple of years and a lot of them? Or do you think they are very thin on the ground for what I think achieved? so so I think that you'll I think that you'll have to go away and send me an email with a bunch of articles that write about Guardiola in the way that Klopp's been written about uh, for about 12 months now. I I don't see them. I think what I tend to see are paragraphs within an article within 500 words about City. Yeah. You'll definitely get 5560 on the what an achievement it was to get 100 points or what an achievement it was to win back-to-back titles. But then that's just 50 words out of 500. So what's in the other 450? And this is what I'm talking about. That like, you know, that people dedicate in the media a hell of a lot of time to writing about why Manchester City, why Guardiola aren't as good as they make us out to be. So it's like, we never, I don't think that Guardiola wrapped up and went, I'm the greatest coach ever. I am going to revolutionize English football. British media said that. You you see the point that I'm making that it's just, it's the, the entire narrative, the entire coverage is disingenuous. And for me, it's just, it's not acceptable, and we should say out loud that it's not acceptable. That Eluco article is completely unacceptable. It lives, it should live in the same bin as Rob Harris asking Guardiola whether he's ever taken a bung, or Miguel Delaney writing about a, a diminished treble. They all, all those things should live in the same bin. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm not going to add much to that, because that was... Uh... Beautifully put, Asa. It's, it, I said there, uh, I don't know where I said it last week, but maybe my weekly thoughts. This is the new Derby week. Hmm. I Andrew. mean, yeah, Sergio Aguero can go on about uh, United being the main rivals, and obviously a lot of City fans will, will say that. It's the definitely, you know, depends how you define rivals uh, or what the biggest game is. It might be United for a lot of City fans. That, that's fair enough. It is the Manchester Derby after all. It's, It's what our lifetimes have been, the biggest game. Uh, But media coverage-wise, there's no doubt that the the lead-up to a Liverpool game is how it used to be with the lead-up to United game. Now, United obviously always had thousands of people in the media, ex-players, and still do, 
just all over the place, eager to give their thoughts. You know, like Paul Scholes would come out of the woodwork, uh, the the shy family man, to say about how how City were irrelevant leading up to Derby Day. And of course, you've now got the swathe of ex Liverpool players, only too eager to do exactly the same and big up Liverpool, who, as you say, never really do anything wrong apart from when they do, when it's not really covered that much. Yeah, so. That's it. Is the new Derby Week lead up? Uh, it was tiresome in the old days, and the best thing you can do, really, because as you say, you're not going to find much of interest in the mainstream media. Is just ignore, <laughs> try and ignore the internet in the lead up because it is so utterly repetitive, predictable, and tiresome. To be honest, I did do yesterday. I mean, I was I was actually all right, and then I kind of opened Twitter this morning for a little a little look. And the first thing I've come across is the Aluko thing. And I'm, I'm actually, uh, it's a, a part that, that Rick Turner screenshotted. And I'm, I'm so in shock at the bit that I don't believe it. So I have to click on the article to read the whole thing to actually believe that this was actually written. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's, it's uh, for me, it's at that level where you kind of rub your eyes and go, nah. He, there's no way that a, a sports editor, a football editor of a football section has gone, yeah, let's put this in our, well, maybe the sun, yeah? But you wouldn't expect The Guardian, supposedly a serious sports section, to have an article like that, an editorial like that. But actually, the truth is, having read it, I'm 100% certain that the sports editor rang a Luco and went, give me a thousand words on why Cloppo is better than Guardiola. And why Guardiola has failed if he doesn't win the Champions League. For sure. For sure. She's not come up with that. She's not pulled that article out of her bottom. No chance. And no way has she come up with that herself. 100%, yeah? She gets paid to write columns. They've paid her and they've gone, this is what you're writing about. And she's written it. But is that any different? Would you say the same about the drivel that Stan Collymore might come out with on a weekly basis? Or is it because it's the Guardian that you think... This is somehow worse than Stan Collymore just stream of bullshit uh, consciousness that is in the Daily Mirror. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe it is the same. Maybe I'm bothered. I mean, I, I don't really care about The Guardian, right? I don't really read The Guardian. Um, so it's not that I've got love for them or I have high yeah. expectations for what they do. Yeah. I just think that this is a particularly, 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 particularly awful awful piece (laughs) and to find it to wake up and read it on the friday of the weekend of the liverpool game is for me beyond the pale it's written for clicks from scousers and as a little bit of bonus to piss people like me off yeah no it is but that's that's how it's been for a long time. Perhaps, yeah, you think certain newspapers are above that, but I don't think they are anymore, so... Nope. Anyway, let's move on. Yes. Thank you for your thoughts. There may be some more swear words coming up later. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, right, let's look back at the Atalanta game then, uh, because we've not done a review, because... I was getting splashed from puddles outside Manchester Airport for two hours. Uh, what a lovely, what a lovely weather to return to this country uh, yesterday. So we'll do it now. So, Asan, 
Pep's Pep's lineups always raise an eyebrow. Uh, normally he's slagged off on Twitter an hour before kickoff for for the uh, the lineup not being strong enough or too left field. Should we be uh, not slagging him off, but criticising or raising our eyebrows because the side was too strong for a Champions League game in Italy? Or did you expect him to play such a strong side? Well, I mean, so firstly, expectation was absolutely that the team was going to be the strongest 11 players that he had. Um, I almost feel that when I saw that Liverpool had actually rotated the night before, um, my immediate thought was, you know what, Pep's going to pick an even stronger team now. I just think that he won't, that I think Guardiola's mentality is the Barcelona mentality. And I think that the Barcelona mentality back then was we're better than everybody else and we just play our best team. Like those players, they played, they played weekend, midweek, weekend, constantly. Do you know what I mean? You might have like, you know, you might have Pedro drops out and Villa comes in. Yeah. You might have one, one of the centre-halves drops out and one of the centre-halves drops in. But basically, those th- that team, the iconic teams that Guardiola has coached, they all played in all the games. Um, so I don't really think that it's... I didn't expect there to be a shadow side, not at all. Um, in terms of whether it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, look... I don't think that you, I don't think that there is a right or a wrong thing to do because I don't think that one thing or the other determines the result at the weekend. I think the result yeah. at the weekend is determined by the game at the weekend. And, you know, I just, I, I don't, it, football just doesn't work like that for me. And I think that you, in a way you do have to win whatever game is in front of you. So, as much as I kind of listened to the, the, the Noisy Neighbours podcast yesterday and kind of nodded my head as as they were like, yeah, I'd have just picked 11 shadow players. I'd have been, you know, like, why was De Bruyne on the pitch? Like, their point of view was really was like, you know, back to front. Why is De Bruyne on the pitch? Why is Fernandinho on the pitch? Why is Bernardo Silva on the pitch? Why is Gundo on the pitch? Why is Sterling on the pitch? Like, you know, the game at the weekend is too big. Me? If I was coach, I'd have done exactly that. I'd have played 11 shadow players and made the players that are playing at Liverpool at the weekend chill on the bench. But it's not me, it's Guardiola, and he's made the decision that he's made, and I didn't really expect any other decision. But would, uh, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in either Champions League game, which has been a draw again, uh, which for the last two Champions League campaigns, endless draws elsewhere have pretty much, you know, Fallen into City's hands very nicely, made the group a lot more manageable when other teams aren't winning uh, their other games. But if City had put a shadow team out and, you know, more probably lost, is that really helping City? What I mean, do you is mean? It helping City? Well, just by concentrating everything, by resting a few players for one league game that weekend then keeping the Champions League group open and meaning that the next game against Shakhtar has to be a lot more competitive and perhaps it could even go to the last get sixth game of the Champions League campaign. Is it really helping City's League campaign to do that? I mean, obviously Pep's, Pep's thinking is clear. Let's win the group on Wednesday. Then we've got two games 
and he's not won it, but we're effectively So let me ask you away. a different question. You could have two games where you could pretty much put out any team you want because you've won the group. I totally get that. So let me ask you a different question then. Um, and maybe let's move into actually the review of the Atalanta game. So my first question for you, or maybe you can ask this of me, is do the team look like they're playing at 100%? Uh, game or two for a bit is the answer. Right. No, they didn't. Not for me. No. no they, they, they played it. I mean, there's absolutely no way that that collection of players go out on that pitch and leave everything on the pitch. They just yeah. don't do it. It's just really, really, really noticeable. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is basically playing at 0.75 speed. Yeah. It's really, really, really clear that he's playing at 0.75 speed. I think that there was a a, a collective, and I want to say a lack of intensity because we were intense in moments in the way that we played, but I don't think that we were for for what we knew we were coming up coming up against in in that Atalanta side. I think that on a different game week with a different Premier League game at the weekend. I think that we play like we did in Napoli a few years ago and we absolutely take them apart because they want to press us high and because they also want to play football. The fact that we don't take them apart, I think is because we just don't play at the level that we'd normally play at because we know we've got Liverpool coming at the weekend and then that kind of becomes a conversation about, well, you know, if you're not going to play at 100%, then should you really be playing your best 11 or maybe it is better to to play players who know that they won't play at the weekend and who maybe have got a point to prove. That's my version of devil's advocate on the the selection conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the fact remains that that team that wasn't playing at full intensity still could have had that game won by half-time. That a shadow side is unlikely to have done. So even... Yeah, but they didn't... Yeah, but they, they should have done. And a shadow side probably wouldn't have created so many chances. Should have, Yeah, it's all this buts and maybes, of course. And it's a gamble. Everything's a gamble. You know, if two key players go off injured, then it becomes a very bad decision. Uh, but I, can't, I don't think you can pick sides by not wanting to get players injured. I just don't think, yeah. They can get yeah. injured in training. They can get injured at home. Uh, they get injured by, a, you know, an air hostess's trolley mm. as a city player once did it's you know you can't just you can't uh you can't really live your life like that but well if we look at the side anyway he's picked the side he has he's decided to go for it he's tried to nail the group down didn't quite get there but city of course maintain a huge lead in the group anyway so no disaster with the result and you know as you say the game just couldn't be seen from the players you know we make this argument in the Carabao Cup that there's no way they ever go onto that pitch 100% intensity. I think the only players that go into a Carabao Cup game with that intensity are, are youth players because obviously that means the will to them to be on that pitch playing for City. Whereas someone like Mares or Aguero, they're just, in a way, going through the motions because they know they can get to the final winner trophy without reaching intensity until the latter stages. And this game... Going into it with a five-point lead, I think the players just drop off two or three percent. It makes all the difference in the modern game when you're playing great sides. Absolutely. But with that in mind, 
the openings exchanges, the goal. Did it did it look to you as if City weren't playing without intensity, or did it look like City was totally focused and on the ball? I think they do start really strong. I really do. I think that we do start with the right intensity. Um, I think that the opening exchanges either side of the goal, pretty impressive. I mean, firstly, like the goal is lovely. It's just yeah. one of those. It's one of those where you just go, come on, that's Barcelona-esque. Do you know what I mean? That's like peak, peak Guardiola for me. It was just beautiful to watch. And I think that... You know, people talk about Sterling's finish, but Sterling started that move by winning the ball back. And it's just, it's, it's a, for me, it's a microcosm of why Raheem Sterling is so important to this Man City team. Because maybe with the exception of Kevin De Bruyne, I don't think there's another player in the squad who can do that, who can win the football back, travel with the football, play a one, two and finish like that. Um, so. I mean, yeah, I do, I do think that we start with the right intensity. I think a little bit. Um, can, can I, can I talk about the, the, the non-penalty penalty really quickly as well in the same, yeah. in the same bit? I actually think a little bit, um, those two incidents kill, uh, momentum, tempo, and somehow, for some reason, we don't really have the same, how do I say this? I don't want to say control because it was a weird game in the sense that we didn't really control possession in the way that we normally do. But I just felt that particularly after, after Gabby misses with a, a truly, truly horrific penalty. And fr- frankly, like, um, again, not to lay into him, but just to say very bluntly, like whenever I've been negative about Gabriel Jesus, that penalty misses why I'm negative of Gabriel Jesus. Two and a half years into his City career, or however long he's been at City, you understand the stakes. The stakes are super high. Gabriel Jesus scores that penalty. In my humble opinion, we've won that game from there on out. They don't recover from that, yeah? He misses the penalty and he misses it so badly and it's such a poor penalty that I think Atlanta go, right lads, we will immediately their tails go up. Um, so, and then I, I just felt that it's one of those games where as Atalanta gets stronger, City aren't up for it. They're just not up for it because, well, you know, we've got Liverpool at the weekend and they try manfully to stay in control of the game without ever controlling the game again. And I think that, go on. Do you think that the heart's just not in it because of what's coming up? They just can't make it matter enough for them. Well, it's just, I think it's about, look, I don't think it's about mattering. I think it's about intensity. I think that, you know, when when you're up against a team who, so we've got to look at it from Atalanta's point of view. From Atalanta's point of view, that game was their Champions League Cup final. Manchester City, Pep Guardiola at home in the San Siro, in the Champions League, that they, they, they are going to put a show on. They want to show their supporters. They don't want to embarrass their league. They want to do it right. Yeah. They're going to fight for every single thing. Other side, we're there going, we want to win this game, but we don't necessarily want to play like it's a must-win game because we've got another must-win game on Sunday in our heads. So 
I think that when you come up against a team who are intense in the way that Atalanta were intense, you got a choice to make. Do you individually in every battle, do you match the intensity? Every sprint, do you match it? You these players know their bodies, right? They know what playing at a certain intensity means. They know what their own personal recovery things will be like. I just think it's really easy. You know, it's who's are you flying in for a 50 50 with Liverpool coming in at the weekend? Really? Are you, you know, Atalanta with the, the points you've already got in the Champions League? Knowing you could probably lose that game and you've got two home games to rectify it. Are you flying into a 50 50? I mean, you know, unless your name's Claudio Bravo, you you just ain't doing that, are you? Do you know what I mean? You, I, 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 I don't think City were. I don't think City were bad uh, in the way that they played, and I don't think that uh, I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, what's wrong with City? What's wrong with De Bruyne? What like you know that's a really worrying performance right before Liverpool." No, that's exactly the sort of performance I'd expect right before Liverpool. Nobody's playing at one hundred percent. Not the players you expect to play on on Sunday anyway. They might play at ninety. Some of them might play at ninety five, but they ain't playing at hundred. So you don't take anything from the performances in re- relation to how you think Sunday will go. I actually Just two th- separate, totally th- separate. They are separate, occasions. and from a from a superstition point of view, I'd be more worried if City played a ten out of ten game and wiped the floor with Atalanta. I yeah. think that'd make me a little bit nervous going into Sunday. I think the fact that Sterling, who I thought was maybe our best attacker, I think the fact that he plays so well on Wednesday is a bit of a worry for me. Kind of wanted Braz to have a quiet game to kind of have have a rocket up his bum when he goes to to Anfield. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess that I kind of I'm superstitious in a different way. I'm I'm I don't necessarily think that if you play amazing in midweek, it follows that you'll play amazing at the weekend. And if anything, a little bit of a dipped performance in midweek, so it gives everybody, including the coaching staff, to give you a rocket for four days and to get you mentally focused for the Liverpool game is is probably uh, a better way to go. Uh, yeah, City have something of a history of some poor performances just before some big games and big totally. matches anyway. So totally. if it's the first time they've eased off in preparation for a more important game on the horizon. Uh, do you think second half blame for that goal? And, and do you think Edison going off? We still don't know as we speak. The extent of that, uh, I would hope. Obviously, the fitness required by a goalkeeper is not quite the same as the fitness required by an outfield player. Listen, um, maybe I'm being naive, yeah, um, but I 100% agree with Jurgen Klopp. I 100% expect <laughs> Edison to start on Sunday, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if he's gone. You know what? When I kicked that last ball, the reason I because he has two he has two uh, kicks in the last ten minutes of the half where he misplaces the pass, and it's a bit rare for Edison to misplace passes. And I wonder if he's come into the dressing room and he's gone. I misplaced those passes. Somewhat up with my, you know, I don't know. It feels a bit tight or something. And Guardiola's gone right. Get him off. Get him off. Do you know what I mean? Because he knows that the conversation will be: Is Edison going to be fit for Sunday? He plants the seed of doubt in Klopp's mind. It is a little. I think there's, I think there's as much kidology as there is precaution in in Edison's uh, uh, substitution at halftime. Now I could be completely wrong, and Bravo could start, and everybody could yell at me on 
Sunday afternoon, but that's my vibe for the moment. Yeah. And if Pep says very little about him today, like still not sure, you know, in a press conference, I wouldn't take too much from that either. Nope. If it is just part of the... I mean, it, it might be true, <laughs> yeah, but it might not be either, so let's not... I don't expect Guardiola to... Uh, I don't expect Guardiola to say anything other than, uh, we don't know, we'll see yeah. tomorrow. I don't expect him to say anything else because I, I don't see what he gains from completely ruling him out and I don't see what he gains from saying he's fatal play. Yeah. Okay, well, before we look at that crazy second half, uh, the penalty we got in that second half, and yeah, let's really not discuss the actual penalty itself. Uh, though we could ask the question, why is he taking it? Which doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, a penalty, yeah, under the current rules. And the free kick that precedes it, is there a case there for red card or are we just looking at, into that too much? No, I don't think it was a, I, I, I don't think it was a red card. Um, I can see why the conversation is out, but it's not a red card for me. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the penalty, it's a penalty for me. Hand up. Not, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not, not by his side. He's jumping. Sorry, mate. In that instance, you, you're going to get a penalty given against you. Um, and then I've already said what I wanted to say about the actual penalty itself. I don't, I, I'm a little bit, uh, they need to have a word with themselves, man. Like Guardiola and the coaching staff, they need to make a decision on penalties because I'm not confident whoever steps up and that's a worry. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, we had like, you know, nearly seven, eight years of Yaya and, and, and Mario where it was just like a penalty was a goal. I don't like this new, new found situation we find ourselves in where, you know, one of the best squads in world football has not got a single penalty taker and, I just think that Aguero and Jesus between them have, uh, I don't know, like they they just don't fill me with confidence. The pair of them, I don't know what it is. And I've said it before that I don't understand why De Bruyne doesn't take penalties. I know I had a big discussion with uh, with Steve McInerney once who just went, well, obviously he, he can't take penalties because he doesn't take them. And, and my point is just like, well, how can he be that good at passing, that good at free kicks, that good at shooting? But when it comes to a penalty, just... Can't take one. Bit baffling for me, but I don't know. They might not want to take one. Like, yes, that's well, different thing. Silver didn't want to take one, so. Mm. Uh, but I'm sure Gundogan could have taken one. Uh, it, that it reeked to me of someone trying to get his stat. You know, the, I say there's never complaints to you, but City are totally on top, and Jesus saw a chance, you know, to add to his stats, his tally, goal tally, and really, yeah, you've got to be a bit more ruthless about that. You know, the game was far from uh, won. And it should be the best penalty taken. He's not it. So, yeah, there's not one outstanding one. It's a weird thing. You know, I don't think Lionel Messi's the, the greatest penalty taker in the world. It's a, a very unique situation to take a penalty. And you've got to want to do it. But mm. after that penalty, you shouldn't be getting anywhere near them. Of course, we all remember what happened at Anfield last season. Uh, and, you yeah, know, what's our next game? <laughs> well, it's what, if just... we get, what if we get a penalty on Sunday? Well, Aguero will start and Aguero will take it. Yeah. Yeah. True. And his record, I don't have confidence with Aguero, but his record is far better than Absolutely. My, lack, my lack of confidence suggests. 100%. So there you go. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm probably scarred by the Spurs one last season. Yeah. Uh, and I just feel that in these moments, 
I just, you know, you know, sometimes when managers talk in cliches about how, like, you know, there's fine, it's the finest of margins in the big games and all that sort of stuff. You, it's really like you kind of look at the last few years and you look at how City have gone out of the Champions League on away goals and how fine the margins have been in so many games. I, I just think something like penalties, we need to be, you know, we, we, the coaching staff need to be a hundred percent sure that they've that they've got a list of three, and that one, two, and three on the list of three, they feel whether it's the new camp, whether it's Anfield, whether it's the Etihad, those three when they step up, they're burying burying the penalty. Especially with VAR, I don't know if it'll end up giving more penalties. Uh, but you know, plenty of Champions League campaigns have been decided by from the spot kicks, so mm. it really is a part of the game we need to nail down. And that second half, the general... So, do you put it down to Atlanta being that penalty miss? Does it, you know, a half-time inspirational team talk from the manager, perhaps? But does that miss change everything? And would you say Edison going off does the same? Yes. I mean, I think that, you know, Edison going off in isolation doesn't change everything. But I think that Bravo's red card certainly changes everything. Um was it red card for you? Bravos. Yeah. No. Why? Because he doesn't touch him. <laughs> Why doesn't he touch him? What do you mean what? Because he jumps over him. Why does he jump over him? To try and get him sent off probably. I mean he dangles his leg there and then throws himself to the ground. The player could have gone on. I'm not sure that he was I'm not sure about by avoiding Bravo he couldn't stay on his feet. I'm not that's, convinced by that at all. I think he could have done. That's not he, what I'm saying. If that's he was intent on scoring the goal rather than getting a player sent off. That's not the question I'm asking you, right? Well, so for me, it's a red card. And the reason it's a red card is because as soon as Bravo commits to that challenge, he's got to win the ball. And if he doesn't win the ball, the player's jumping over him and it's a red card all day long. I'm baffled by people arguing that it's not a red card and baffled by Bravo's tweet the next day. Look, I didn't touch him. Lad, you're out of your your area. You've gone to ground, studs first to win a football and you've not won the football. The forwards got there ahead of you and he's hurdled over you and fell down. It's a red card. I mean, if that happens to a City player, we're absolutely apoplectic with rage if the if the uh, the keeper doesn't get a red card, so no, nah, it was uh, it was really, really. I mean, it's one of those. I've seen Edison do that. Do you know what I mean? So again, we can slag Bravo off, but our keepers they're instructed, I think, in those fifty fifties to go out there and try and win the football. It's just Bravo's luck or whatever that he's. It is what it is. Going to ground was utter stupidity because it, that that's a. That's a block you make in the penalty area when you, can, when you can handle it. But utter many levels handle of it. You can't brain handle it anyway. So what's he trying to do there? He needs what? to stay on his feet and just you know prov- provide a block to put doubt in the player's mind. Uh, but I still think the red card is dependent on whether the player was forced down by having to get out of the way of Bravo. If he's just decided to go down, you know, to throw himself into the air, then no, it's not a red card. Fair enough. Because there are no laws of the the game that say it is a red card if the player himself is, is in control of you know of staying up or not staying up because it's not it's not 
if the player's the one who's initiated falling to the ground, then Bravo was not denied a goal-scoring opportunity. It's as simple as that for me. If you think he can't get out of the way and it's gone to the ground, it's a red card. So for me, it depends on you know whether you decide which of those you decide. But him going to ground was pretty stupid anyway. Maybe we could get a red card for <laughs> the naivety in that situation. We, we know our keeper's going to be proactive, but you live and die by getting to that ball first, and he didn't. Uh, it was, yeah, the wrong decision to come out. So, what can you say? Not Nothing. a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit... Uh, Bravo's jinxed, as far as I'm concerned. They need to get him out of the club ASAP and get a new backup keeper because the guy's just, you know... It just happens sometimes with players at clubs where it's just not worked and it ain't yeah. working. And every time they go near the pitch, in their head, it's not working. And then it just becomes a catastrophe before it's even begun. And I feel as though, I fear that's where we're at with Bravo. Yeah. Oh, it's, it might work for him. Or it has in the Carabao Cup. But we, well, don't was, mind, we don't mind if it goes wrong in that as much I was as just going to say in the Champions League. So. Yeah. I was just going to say that having said all of, having said that about Bravo, uh, City backup keepers have a have a little bit of a history of of pitching up in games and doing things that you don't expect them to do. Um, so it, I wouldn't be flabbergasted if Bravo starts on Sunday and ends up putting in a man of the match performance. Do you know what I mean? Just because that would be that would be classic Bravo and classic City. Yeah, I'd be quite surprised at that. To be <laughs> uh, before we go on to the, the hero of the hour. Other eight ten minutes, uh, the goal itself that we conceded, you know, is that really sloppy defending? Is Otamendi right to be drawn to the right, and is it really the case of his teammates to to fill the gap that he's left? And is Fernandinho at, at fault for just allowing the runner into the into the box? You know, acres of space to head home. I don't know if it's Ferner or if it's Gundo, but I, bet, I think between Ferner and Gundo, they've got to have that third man run covered and they don't. Um, I'm, as much as I love slagging the general off, I can't blame the general for that goal. Um, I think also in high intensity Champions League games away from home against talented, confident teams like Atalanta, you're going to concede a goal. Like, you know, it's not, it's not that. It's okay to concede a goal. It's what you do going the other way that's just as important, if that makes sense. I think that, you know, I don't want to dwell on the penalty miss, but I think the penalty miss is just next level sliding doors moment in football and the Champions League and moments like that. You take, you, those are the moments that you, that you win ties in or that you throw ties away in. Yeah. And, you know, with the Bravo red card, let's not forget. Yeah, we put it all on Bravo. Was it Kundawanu? Who led to that attack? Who was it that didn't get the pass away in midfield? Mm, I'm not. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I can't. I can't see past the poor decision making of, of Bravo. Fair enough. Uh, right, Walker in goal. Uh, you'll thought. I saw up to Joe's stat. You know, I can't. I need to look it back up again. He's the first Englishman to make a save in the Champions League since 2016. <laughs> Can that even be possible? I don't know. I've got no idea. In three years, um, well, no I mean, English, this... no English man 
and by that we tend to be goalkeepers, have made a save in the Champions League. So our, all our English keepers have, have, you know, obviously Jordan Pickford doesn't. Uh, you know, the, the likes of Pope, Heaton, Joe Hart, whoever, have not been Champions League regulars. So our right back is the first Englishman to do so in three years. Uh, <laughs> What do you make of that? Were you laughing at this last 10 minutes or just I, incredulous? Got, or I loved it. I mean, I've got to say that the, there comes a point at, at which um, there, there's moments in football and in football games where you have to remind yourself that it's only a game. Do you know what I mean? That it's it's entertainment and it's meant to be entertaining. And I think seeing Kyle Walker in a goalkeeper, I mean, I... I really enjoyed it. I thought the the save that he makes where he, he kind of spills it and then he gets it was just like, I was on my feet and applauding. Um, I also want to say actually that as important as, or kind of when you put aside the, the, the comedy and the, the novelty of Kyle Walker being, being in net, City play there, in my opinion, best football when Walker goes in net yeah. in the sense that finally everybody calms down and realizes that they just need to control the football. Just to go back to earlier, earlier, one of the things that was really noticeable from, I would say maybe half an hour, 40 minutes into the first half, uh, is De Bruyne constantly yelling at people and going, just calm down and keep the ball. Because yeah. there's this... You know, sometimes when you play against a team that play with that sort of high intensity and press you high, you get sucked into playing in the same way. You get sucked into playing in transitions in the same way that they're playing in transitions. And that's not really what City are about. We're not real. I mean, we, we are, we can be devastating on the transition, but actually we're a possession team. And I think that sometimes when we get sucked into games that feel a bit like more like basketball games doesn't really suit us. Um, because I think that we feel a bit more open defensively because we're just not organised, we're not controlling the football. So I think it was really, really noticeable that De Bruyne was trying to get his teammates to just pass it sideways, pass it back and control the football. And we just didn't seem to manage that until Walker goes in net. And I think then everybody realises, right, we have to protect Walker. And because of that, we begin to play, for me, much more like Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Yeah, I did rather focus the minds of the team after totally. drifting through a lot of the half. Uh, do you think this this whole, obviously, social media, City's so, own social media have gone to town on this uh, and everyone's had a good laugh because, yeah, it's funny. Well, do you think it'll help the team? A, a little escapade like this, the drama of it. Will it help the team morale? Will it help with Anfield on the horizon? Or is it just one of those things that has no bearing on what happens thereafter? Um, I mean, you know, you, you, honestly, no. I mean, you're looking for marginal gains in, in massive games. Is it a marginal gain? Maybe. I mean, I think maybe, maybe, maybe after the Bravo red card, yeah, if there's another goalkeeper on the pitch and the other goalkeeper gone, goes on and we play it out and it's a 1-1 draw. Maybe everybody's a bit flat and a bit deflated and the the focus is on Claudio Bravo. But I think because Walker goes in net and because we managed to see the game out and because it's funny, yeah, 
I imagine that there's a lot of bants in the dressing room afterwards and the Bravo thing is a little bit forgotten. You see what I mean? So yeah. I think that the, the, there's, there's a little marginal gain there in terms of maybe the spirits are a little bit higher, but look, I mean, they will have got back, what, late on Wednesday night? They will have had maybe light training yesterday. I think today's the day. I think today they go in for training and it's when they begin. Uh, this is where I expect Guardiola to be getting his charges ready for Sunday. Mentally, physically, just getting them right. Okay, I think we're done with the, you know, what's... The week that was, was... Was not the most important game of our season. No. Uh, and should not have sweeping conclusions made about it, to be honest. So, Shakhtar Donetsk, two... Well, there were three one down when they went into injury time, I think. Three all in the other game. So, City... Now, if Shakhtar hadn't come back, City would have essentially qualified. But I still think the draw in the other game is a very good result, because it means we're five points clear of two other sides now. One point should do it in one of the last two games. So avoid defeat against Shakhtar. City have essentially won the group. I think even if they don't turn up to the last two matches, they've got a fair chance of winning the group anyway. So the campaign's going fine in the Champions League. Next up, of course, though, it's a small matter of Liverpool. Uh, I think you kind of answered this with the opening question, Asan. How are you coping with the intenseness of the rivalry? All I will say briefly before you answer is... My whole attitude and approach to social media has changed over the summer in that I've just retreated into my bubble, in a way. Mine on too. Twitter, I just don't read as much. If I see Empire of the Cop or some <laughs> Simply Firmino 69 do some unpopular opinion, I just block it. I don't even look at it. It's gone. I'm not discussing it. It's gone. I'm sure we have fans of our own, you know, Obviously, some are worse than others. Their players are all the best in the world. They can't do any wrong. But we all have fans like that, and we just ignore the content you don't want to see. So I'm not really reading a lot on Liverpool this season. Uh, if they do it, I won't be happy. I won't find it easy to cope with, but I find it a lot easier than I would have done if we hadn't won those last 14 games of last season. Uh, so what happens, happens. Uh, how about you? Is it just as bad as it's ever been for you, or...? In ge- easier. So in general, I've had a much better season this season because I've done the same as you kind of created a, um, an echo chamber. Uh, and I just don't read, um, fanzine writers and I don't write, read fanzine tweeters from rivals. Um, I think that maybe that's why I'm so bothered by what we discussed in the opening question, because I have managed to, uh, I guess, avoid it. And somehow by kind of, you know, putting a veil over my face and not looking at any of that stuff, maybe I'd convinced myself that it was a little bit more neutral, that going into the weekend, the feeling really would be, that of this is two top teams that are going to go and slog it out. And it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. Um, and I think the Aluko piece just kind of fed into this idea that I have that there is a 
way of writing about Manchester City and the mainstream media that has just become a reflection of the Anfield rap or, you know, the empire of the cop. And, you know, empire of the cop and Anfield rap are entitled to write that way because they're basically fanzine bloggers. Yeah. Um, I don't expect that from The Guardian. Um, so actually for me in general, there's been very, it's not, it doesn't feel particularly intense this season. Um, and I think the other thing, Howard, and I think this probably will, will lead us into a little bit more of a discussion about the game on Sunday. I don't think Liverpool are as good as people are making out. I've been saying for weeks now that we're analysing City's performances and Liverpool's results. Um, I read a statistic last week or last weekend that in the last six weeks, Liverpool have, have, have had to win six games in the last 10 minutes. That includes games against the likes of Sheffield United. So I don't think that they are the free-flowing, all-conquering side that we think they are. They are not the unplayable, unstoppable machine that we have convinced ourselves that they are. Yeah. Um, so... I'm all right, actually. Like, I'm all right about Sunday. Even the, the, let me ask you. So, you know, when you, when a game is this big, yeah, do you want, do you think that it's possible that even the injuries become irrelevant in the sense that both teams are so respectful of the other team and respectful of the weapons that they do have that there isn't that, you know, you see, you see the point I'm making that look, we played without KDB, without Mendy, without, you know, plenty of big players. We've played against Liverpool without those big players. Hmm. Um, is there, for you, do you look at our injuries and go, oh, they've got a massive advantage? Or do you feel more like, well, the injuries are kind of irrelevant. If you put 11 on paper, I trust those 11 players to put in to compete against Liverpool's 11? Uh, I think Laporte's the only one that's ca- that's relevant because it does, you know, it's, it's had such an effect on our defensive capabilities. But overall, I, I tend to agree with you. We're still going to put, you know, 11 highly decorated players out, you know, unless Sederson's injured. Uh, but we're still going to put loads of brilliant players out. So, yeah. And you know, look at Liverpool at home to Barcelona last year when they have players out. Big games like this aren't just about who's got the best players. It's about moments, in a way, uh, attitude and how they deal with the situation. So, no, I don't I don't think it's... Can't use that as an excuse on Sunday, anyway. Uh, I think I think it's how the players perform. Yeah, we, you'll look at the team we'll put out. It'll be full of players who've been there and done it and who we expect... You know, who have won endless things in their life. I just, yeah, I don't see. We do have a, we have the deepest squad we've ever had. So the Laporte one is the only one that, you know, because it's totally shifted. I think it's had such a huge effect on our season, which in itself is worrying that one player can do that. Uh, but that's for us to deal with in future transfer windows. Nothing could do with, about it for now. I, I don't think it's a big talking point for Sunday's match now. I mean, if you look at the players that are, are out, Zinchenko, well, he's not a left-back anyway. David Silva could have had a huge effect on this game, but, you know, he's in the twilight of his career. 
we've got to, you know, we can cope without him and we will do in the future. And, you know, he's not a 9 out of 10 every week now anyway, let's be honest. And Rodri, new to the club, still finding his way. It may even help us to have, you know, someone like Gundogan, deeper, who's been there and performs best in that position. So we've still got the options that we can't really use that as an excuse at all. Um, How many points have City dropped since the Laporte injury in the Premier League? Uh, Well... I've got it for that. We're six points behind, so yeah, five. Since the Laporte injury, how many Premier League points have Manchester City dropped? Oh, is it just three? I can't remember when he was injured. When was he injured? He played against Wolves, and that was our. He did. Oh, so. and that was the, that was the last time that we. Uh... Sorry, no, my apologies. Man, it was just before that. Yeah, it was. It was before that. So I think it's the uh I think the only three are the uh are the Wolves three. I mm. think those are the those are the only three points that we've dropped since he's uh to be honest, whether he's injured before Norwich or not is irrelevant because that was just such a ridiculous game that you can't 100%. really put I mean, there was no excuses for that whether he's in it or not in it or you know, it was a, a very bizarre day where the issues were far, far greater than one of our players yeah, being out injured. It was just, uh, no, it was a 4-0 win over Brighton. Uh, so that he, he picked up the injury. So, but yeah, it's not just the results. It's the performances. You can see the defensive, you yeah, know, there are little issues. There are obviously issues there with the defense. Oh but no, definitely. It's not just about the defense. It's about last season, the defense in the, when City played perfectly, you don't know in a way how good your defenders are at defending because they don't have to do a lot of it. Absolutely. Because we suffocate the opposition. So it's not just all about Laporte not being there. It's uh, There are other is- issues with his side. But as you said, Liverpool themselves have issues with their side this season. So- They've not kept a clean sheet at Anfield so far this season. So, again, it's a st- statistic that when I heard it, I raised an eyebrow because mm. you kind of go, well, you know, unless you expect Sunday to be a really high scoring game, you kind of look at that and you go, well, our attackers should have some joy if they've not kept a clean sheet at Anfield this what, season. Which, what sort of game do you think it would be? The nil-nil that we saw last season? Or all guns blazing? Or do you th- uh, yeah, my, my initial thought is that initially at least, so yeah, I'll be proved completely wrong within two minutes, both sides may be cautious because of what's at stake. Mm. So it's a diff- it's a difficult one to predict because I think it's difficult to predict what Guardiola views as the best course of action without Laporte. And what I mean by that is I think that he can invite a little bit of pressure last season because I think he feels defensively the team is incredibly stable, right? Um and he's almost City didn't play. I think one of the things that's been massively overstated is how City played against Liverpool last season. So, firstly, City have played in used those tactics uh, several times, uh, particularly away in the Champions League. It's uh, it's a tactic that City have used a lot. And what is that tactic? It's just that the fullbacks uh, play play deeper and they play narrow, and they don't really ever get in front of. 
the wingers. And even in terms of their link-up play, they don't get involved in the little triangles right on the edge of the opposition area that they basically sit 10 yards deeper. They did it against Spurs away. They've done it plenty. The notion that they only did it once against Liverpool at Anfield last season is nonsense. The, the, I think that Klopp referencing that uh, City played differently in the the game at Anfield last season in his press conference yesterday or the day before is a little bit of kidology against Guardiola. I think that he's basically challenging Guardiola to come and play the way City play. Um, now, if you're asking me what City will do, it's really difficult to predict because I think a lot of it comes down to the lineup that he chooses. And I actually think that Guardiola's got tons of options for, for the team that he picks. I think that the Laporte injury, the Rodri injury, it actually, it makes the selection a lot more interesting in the sense that the the rest of the pieces can kind of be moved around. So in theory, you can play Stones and Otamendi and play Ferner at the six, or you can play Ferner at centre-back and you can play uh, uh, Gundo at the six. You can play Mares wide or you can play... Bernardo White, you can play Aguero or you can play Jesus. I mean, even, I think left back will definitely be Mendy. Even even right back, I mean, Walker versus Cancelo, it depends upon whether you want to pin Andy Robertson back or not. If you want to pin Rob, Andy Robertson back, then maybe the answer is to play Cancelo and tell him to play wide and high and play, you use that tactic. But then if you want to play like you did last season at Anfield, then you play Walker and you have him play a little bit deeper. So I think that, you know, I think that it's a, it's an interesting selection for Pep. It's not an easy game for Liverpool to prepare for because I think Liverpool's selection and their tactics are, uh, telegraphed. I think we know what their team will be. I think we know what their tactics will be. They basically have got one 11 and they've got one way of playing and that's just what they're going to be. Um, and the question is, what Guardiola chooses as the, um, as the, 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 I guess the way to counteract that. Um, how would you approach it? Like, I mean, being a bit weaker in defense is your instinct to go and attack more? Or do you think that the defense, because it's a bit weaker, we should play deeper and they should have more protection? Uh, how should I approach this match? I think the, ki- the key thing is, I mean, a back three could have worked, but obviously that's not happening. Uh, the key thing is to keep their, their fullbacks pinned back. But it goes against the caution, the more caution approach that, you know, of my initial approach is what you said, that narrow, conservative fullbacks for us. But then that perhaps allows their fullbacks to get forward. And Liverpool are half the team they are. Yeah, you know, they are, offensively, if you keep their fullbacks restrained. Mm. And I think that's the approach that has to be taken. Mm. So if, even Oligal and Solskjaer realised that. Uh, <laughs> And so many opposition managers just ignore it. They just don't make any attempt. They just make any attempt to restrain their fullbacks. They the teams that the have done it, players. though. The teams that have done it, though, they've played three at the back, yeah. right? So Sheffield United and, United and and Man United in particular, they play with three at the back, which allows the wing backs to go and and meet their two fullbacks really high up the pitch. Um, hey, let me throw something well, out there. Some let fluid. Me- well, as you say, Ottomendi and Stones play. Some fluid pep formation where Fern drops back and different 
different formation in and out of possession, which could be a genius or fall apart because the players aren't used to it. Who knows what, you know, if Pep overthinks it or has some cunning plan uh, in place for this match. Here's know. what I think. I think that the the tactics on Wednesday are a trial run for the tactics on Sunday. I think the first 10, 15 minutes of the game, even though we're away from home in the Champions League, we press really high. We try and win the ball high up the pitch. Second half, even before the red card, our fullbacks don't go don't go forward. Our fullbacks are narrower and they're deeper. Um, so I can very much see a situation where Pep's kind of first 15, 20 minute plan against Liverpool is, look, let's go out there, let's press them high and let's see if we can't unsettle them. They're going to expect to dominate possession and to get the crowd behind them. Let's try and, let's try and basically stop that, do what we're good at, press high and try and land some punches early doors because we know we can drop back and do the, uh, do the other side, but you see what I mean. We can always can always come down ten percent, having started at a high intensity. I think my worry with starting conservative is you don't want to find yourself in a position where fifteen minutes into the game, twenty minutes into the game, you basically you're struggling to keep possession, and it's already becoming a little bit of a basketball game because you're only playing in transitions. Yeah, so. Is this a must-not-lose game for you? If City lose this, do you see it as one at this early stage as Liverpool being having one hand on that Premier League trophy? No. No? No. Okay. Do you? No. And Why? It's too early. Well, it's, it's too early in December. Things happen. Hmm. Uh, obviously, it's a huge thing to make up. But it comes to the point of... If Liverpool can keep, you know, I do feel that at some point the Liverpool system will stop being as effective. Mm. The points will be dropped and perhaps a run of dropping points. We may do the same and it may make no difference. It might be one of those seasons where no team is really functioning at 100%. Uh, So to make up a nine point, you know, gap means that we have to get all our issues out of the way and go on one hell of a run. And we have a tricky, after Liverpool, there's plenty of tricky games to come. So it really is a huge disadvantage. But no, obviously, the time, it's not over. You can't say that in early November. So, uh, so what, final question then, we'll wrap this up. Uh, what do you expect to happen on Sunday? Or is it impossible to predict? And what team would you pick? You know, with defence in mind, with those back, those centre defenders, what team would you pick and how do you see the game panning out? Um, I think it'll be similar to both of the games last season. I think it'll be one of the games of the season. It will be high intensity. It will be very high quality. I don't think there'll be a lot of goals in it. You know, I think whoever wins, wins by the odd goal or it finishes a draw. Um, are you asking me what team I would pick or are you asking me what team yeah. I think Guardiola will pick? No, what team you think Guardiola will? Okay. I think that Guardiola picks Walker, Otamendi, Stones and Mendy. He picks Fernandinho, Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden. And he picks... I 
Bernardo, Sterling, and Aguero. Shall I explain Foden? Yeah. Because you knew I, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, so. because I, I, I guess that I just I I hope that Guardiola looks at it and he goes with Foden and Fernandinho in centre midfield and Bernardo basically being on the right but playing narrower. I think that what you have is you have the intensity to press and you have the intensity to be. As you have basically you have the dynamism to be as intense as Liverpool's midfield is. And I think that these games are won or lost in that midfield battle. It's been the same since Klopp came in, going all the way back to the Pellegrini years. I think that if you want to beat Liverpool, you have to control their midfield three and you have to control those transitions. And I think that there's two ways of doing it. You either play really defensively, you do like the kind of, you know, the block of eight and you play with the back three and you have the two wing backs who go and meet the, uh, their full backs and you play like that. Or you play what I'm advocating, which is that you have in Fernandinho and Phil Foden, two guys who will run for absolutely days, who are massively dynamic, who will throw their foot into every single challenge, who won't shirk anything. I think that having that intensity is, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that that will trump, for me, that trumps Gundo's efficiency on the football. Now, I appreciate that people will go, there's absolutely no way that Guardiola is going to pick Foden over Gundo. And I, I guess I get that. Um, but I just, if I was, if I was Pep and I was looking at where I can throw a surprise in, that's the, that's the one. Because I don't think Otamendi and Stones, uh, at, at the back with Ferner at DM is a surprise. I think that the fact that Otamendi plays in midweek, I think that's a, that's a nod towards you're going to play again at the weekend. Um, and his performance for once, he didn't do anything. I mean, Bravo had his Otamendi moment. So Otamendi didn't have to have an Otamendi moment. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the team that, that I think will play. And look, the other thing I want to say, that team is capable of beating Liverpool. So that keep, that team is absolutely 11 against 11 capable of beating the 11 that Liverpool will put out. So I'm all right with that. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel, uh, if that is the team, I won't look at it and go, oh my God, what are we going to do? No, not at all. Like, if we, you know, we have a lot of players who can play at a ridiculously high level of football. In the 11 that I've just picked, that 11 can play at a level that even a team like Liverpool will struggle to cope with them. And I think that coaches like Guardiola, they earn their coin on weekends like this weekend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can play on autopilot for, you know, many, 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 many Premier League game weeks, but you can't play on autopilot this weekend. And this is... This is it. Do you know what I mean? It's it's where Guardiola shows that he's uh, tactically he's. He, I think I just think that he got it bang on both games last season. Yeah, I think he showed last season why. I find it really odd. The goes back to the Aluko thing. I find the narrative around Klopp and Guardiola really odd. I mean, you know, the best metric is Premier League games won and Premier League points, and Guardiola's won the league two years on the bounce. He didn't lose against Liverpool last season. He would have had six points were it not for Mares missing a penalty in the last minutes. I mean, who's got the psychological edge here? You tell me, Howard. 
<laughs> their fan base, judging by uh, Twitter this week. But the, <laughs> the bookies know best, not the fans. And uh, the teams are, well, City are very, 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 very marginal favourites for this game. So, uh, yeah, the bookies are never wrong. <laughs> or rarely wrong, anyway. So... Yeah, I think what the media are disappointed is that the, the two managers haven't fallen out yet. Uh, even when they have little digs, they then backtrack anyway and are busy mates again. So they've got to focus on something else instead because there has to be a narrative always. Right, we're not doing... I think we've done everything. Uh, yep. We've said all we can. We're not doing yep. the score prediction. Uh, nope. We'll just... What happens, happens. Good luck on Sunday, City. Uh, right, Asan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. It's been a bumper edition. Uh, Obviously, we'll have a review after the big match on Sunday and a lot more besides. So until next time, uh, goodbye and thanks for listening. Up the Blues and we're going to beat the Scousers. Have it.